Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. With the leading healthcare and some spiritual leaders in the state of Mississippi, having their daily press conference to update you on what is going on. A big part of what they talked about uh, today, if you missed the uh, the first part of their press conference, uh, was the need for pastors, preachers, spiritual leaders to make sure that they don't have church services this weekend. The questions have been ongoing, and um, there was a, uh, a gentleman on who was uh, kind of talking about the difficult decision to uh, cancel a church service uh, over the weekend, but the uh, encouragement, uh, strong encouragement from the governor in the state of Mississippi is for um, that to be the case, to not have church services on this Easter Sunday. We do invite you on uh, Friday to join us for what we're calling a day of hope here on Super Talk Mississippi. You'll hear messages of hope from our spiritual leaders, from government officials, and some good stories that are happening in cities and communities all across the state. And at noon, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn will lead the state in a prayer right here on Super Talk Mississippi. So plan to join us for a day of hope from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. right here on Super Talk Mississippi coming up on Good Friday. We're glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday, middle of the week. Today is the 8th of April. What's up, everybody? Borky, how are you? Doing okay on this Thursday. I, I mean, Tuesday. Never mind. Wednesday? Yeah, I don't know what day it is anymore. It's today. <laughs> That, that's probably a good way to say it. Hey, Dad, it is today. Today it's is today. today. We are in the middle of the week, and uh, we're glad to uh, glad to be with you. Um, how are you, Hey, Dad? I'm pretty good. I'm in a good mood today. What's going on in Starkville? Uh, something cool happened today. Uh, you may have seen it on Twitter earlier, but Coach Joe Moorhead, obviously now the offensive coordinator at Oregon. But he, uh, he bought lunch for the Starkville Police Department today. They sent, sent him a bunch of pizza, so I thought that was really cool. You know, Coach Moorhead obviously didn't work out for him here in Mississippi, but that guy is as nice as anybody you'll ever meet. And uh, part of the reason I wish it had worked out for him was he was such a great person. So, But really, really nice gesture by him. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that story on uh, on Twitter, and it wasn't something that he published, but the, uh, the folks at the Starkville Police Department put that info out, thanking him for lunch and... Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, whether or not he was a good person was uh, ever in question, but uh, obviously has moved on. Certainly you hope the uh, the best for him and uh, and for his family. Rippy, what's shaking on a Wednesday? Not a whole lot. I had pizza for lunch, too. That's a Did lie. You? How's that a lie? No, not the pizza thing. That not a whole lot happened to you today. What happened to me today? Oh, Rippy. Your guy, Bernie Sanders, suspended his presidential campaign. Oh, uh, I was wondering where that was headed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Caught me out of left wow. field on that one. Well played. Really out of left field. Nice. It's far as far left, left as he gets. <laughs> left field line. Yeah. Speaking of left field, 
kind of feels like that's where Mike Gundy was coming from yesterday. He spent uh, about half an hour with uh, members of the Oklahoma State and I guess national media, or maybe the national media just picked up on it after the fact. Um, Had about a 20-minute opening statement in which he covered a lot of ground from a lot of different angles and... Good grief did he open himself up for criticism uh, from pretty much everybody that uh, that sits behind a keyboard or maybe sits behind a microphone. Did you guys listen to or read some of the commentary about Mike Gundy's press conference yesterday? Yeah, read uh, the entire transcript of the 20-minute rant. Not the entire press conference, of course, but uh, the money quote. Um, it, people are focusing on him calling it the, the Chinese virus, and I understand why they're doing that, for sure. And they're focusing on a lot of stuff, but obviously the money quote is the fact that, and I know what he's trying to say, I really do, but when he said, we, they're 18 to 22-year-old kids, they can fight off the virus, we need them to come back to get money going through the state of Oklahoma again. It's like, oh, come on, Mike. He's saying what people are, like other coaches are thinking, though, is he not? He yes, yeah. But it's just is... like it's kind of finally like he like I said yeah. this morning like whenever you have these teleconferences and you ask football coaches about a global pandemic, you're basically saying, "Hey, do you want to take the uh, like spit the company line and just uh, kind of balk at it, or do you want to get yourself in trouble?" And uh, Mr. Gundy went the latter way. And what's yeah. so crazy about this is. The guy with the mullet doesn't have a profound take on coronavirus and the college football world explodes. Like, are you really actually surprised that Mike Gundy didn't have the smartest thing to say about coronavirus when we have political leaders, air quotes, leaders, that don't have smart things to say about the coronavirus? So how is a football coach, which is literally all he does, Like, people are outraged that he said a dumb thing about the coronavirus when that's what you should expect from all of them. Same guy who looked at a reporter and made a fart noise when asked what he cared about Twitter. (laughs) I mean, come on! Which is a great way to stuff a reporter in a locker. If you don't like the question, just look him square in the eyes and go... At the end of the day, (laughs) it's not that he gave a... He doesn't know a lot about the coronavirus. It's that he has no common sense. He basically said, I don't care if these kids get sick as long as the money starts flowing through. Yeah. It's a terrible thing to say. That's what he said. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, beyond the the inhumanity of that, there's, oh, so we need these guys to to make you money, but they they aren't getting any money. We're going to put their – they're already putting their bodies on the line physically in terms of they can get hurt, but now they can get sick too so you can make money. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know that when you're talking about Mike Gundy, there's just a whole lot of nuance in what he says, but nobody is allowing for any nuance in what Mike Gundy said yesterday. You know, he could have he could have said the same thing but gone about it in a different way. I mean, without saying, we need to get these kids back here so we can get the money flowing through the state of Oklahoma – there probably would have been a different way in a uh, without question there would have been a better way to talk about the importance of the economic impact right i mean absolutely he, he he could have talked about the fact that you know stillwater 
is a college town, uh, much like Norman is and Austin is, and you know, could have Ames, Iowa is, could have listed the schools off in the Big Twelve, and could have said, you know, that there are people that are hurting economically, small business owners, restaurant owners, dry cleaners, etc. And we've got to get back to normal as quickly as we can so that the economic engine of all of these small college towns across America can resume and people can get back to their daily lives. He could have said that, which would have been a different way of saying we got to get the money flowing in the state of Oklahoma again and football is a really big part of that and probably avoided the criticism, but he didn't go that route. He went with the... we got to get these guys back and get them sequestered. They're, they're healthy. They can fight it off so that we can get the money flowing again. Well, he would have gotten criticism either way because that's just how things are going now. But that's what's getting lost in all of this conversation about the plans to get the NHL and the NBA and Major League Baseball back. It's It immediately gets dismissed by people. Like when this baseball plan got leaked to Jeff Passan, uh, everybody just immediately just, nope, it's stupid. You're never getting the players to agree to that. And by the way, there's a story in The Athletic where a lot of players talk about how they're willing to do that. One even said, quote, I'd play on the moon. So it's not as black and white as some people want to spin that angle. But, oh, that idea is dumb. That would never happen. Never. That's stupid. Well, what... And then they'll pull the... Are, do you really need to be entertained that bad to get the players to sacrifice four months away from their family? It's not about the entertainment. That's the angle that everybody, when they comment on this, is missing when Major League Baseball comes up with a very um, logistically flawed plan is that they need to play baseball because there are a lot of players, there are a lot of coaches, assistants, clubbies, and television salespeople. There's an economy that is tied to Major League Baseball playing. And if they don't play, a lot of people don't have means to put food on the table. And a $1,200 check from the government's not going to cut it. It's not because we need to be entertained. It's because the economy around baseball teams and sports funds people's livelihoods. And that is completely missing in all this. Oh, it's stupid. The players never agreed to that. I promise you, if it was the only option, they would. And that might be because Major League Baseball, the NHL, they can't just not play. A lot of people would seriously suffer if this doesn't happen. So that, that's everybody's missing that. It's not about entertainment. It's not about us, the fans. Oh, I just want to watch baseball. I will survive. I'll learn how to read. It's the people that have their finances tied up into these things, and their livelihoods tied up into these things that require these sports to happen, and everybody's missing that point. Just like what Mike Gundy is failing but trying to say is there are people in Stillwater, Oklahoma, that exclusively depend on Oklahoma State football to survive and put a roof over their head and feed their family. And if they don't have football, they're sunk. And nobody's talking about that. It's really frustrating. Yeah. Well, the other piece of the whole story with Mike Gundy yesterday, and if you want to read it, I mean, just I mean, Google Mike Gundy press conference and hit enter on your computer, and then the hot takes will just start flowing. But the reality is, you don't have to listen to Mike, Gun- Mike Gundy talk very long to realize that he is extremely conservative. Extremely conservative. 
and you don't have to read the work of the majority of the national college football writers to know that they come from a very different place politically um, and in their belief systems than where Mike Gundy comes from. And so this was easy fodder for those guys. It was easy for them to write the stories that they wrote and to just take shot after shot after shot at Mike Gundy yesterday. Um, it was almost like a gift. I mean, to uh, to a guy like Dan Wolken, um, well, who wrote the uh, the really big long story yesterday that was kind of the first one that popped up. It was uh, there was one in Yahoo from Pete Thamel that said this is why yeah, Mike Pete Thamel the one will, that I'm thinking of. Yeah, he said this is why Mike Gundy will never get a job anywhere besides Oklahoma State, and I understand why he wrote that, and he really focused on the China virus thing and, and called him a bigot and that kind of stuff, and I understand why he did that. But if you want to just do a background search on a lot of major college football coaches, um, they have pasts that are worse than calling something the China virus, and they keep getting jobs. I think the entire thing is is kind of silly, and he's a good writer. Well, and yeah, yeah, I mean, Pete Thamel is a good writer when he just writes about football, but yesterday was a political takedown. I mean, he, he didn't like at all and he saw an easy target in Mike Gundy and so he just went to town. The thing that that I thought kind of took away from what Pete Thamel wrote yesterday and yeah, you guys are free to disagree with me if, if you don't think I'm right I thought it was just that there was a lot of cheap shot in there. I mean wh- why go after Oklahoma State and the town of Stillwater and calling it backwoods and backwaters and second rate and second tier and just kind of going on and on about that. I mean, that, to me, that's just, I mean, it's just nothing but cheap shots versus kind of using your platform to talk about and expose what is a mess or what yesterday was a mess in terms of the, the press conference that Mike Gundy gave. I don't know. Now, that's a really good point, because no matter what Mike Gundy said, it doesn't mean anything about anybody else in that town or from that university at all. Now, I will I will admit, and this is not taking a shot, it's just the truth, there's not a ton in Stillwater. I mean, the, the, there, there's just not. I've, I've been there. I've done basketball games. I mean, it's a fine college town, and I'm sure the people that live there are wonderful. I've um, been there. It kind of sucks. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it, okay. it is not your, um, you know, like like front page ad. This is what a college town is. It doesn't mean you got to take shot at the shots at the people there and the town and the businesses and the school and all those things. And that's kind of what Pete Thamel did in his story. Although he certainly did raise some good points. Here were a couple of the quotes from uh, from Mike Gundy yesterday. We get people that get the flu during the season. We quarantine them. We treat them. We make sure they're healthy. We bring them back. It would be the same thing here, but at some point, we've got to go back to work. We've got to get these guys back in here. From what I read, the healthy people can fight this. The antibodies make it better. They're doing some blood transplants now with the people that have already gotten the disease, that have gotten over it, that have the antibodies that can fight it. There's a lot of people who can figure this out. May 1's our goal. Don't know if it will happen. players will come in after that. Well, May 1 is not going to happen because the Big 12 has already put like a May 31st deadline or or, or, uh, quarantine, if you will. 
no activities until the end of May. So the May 1 uh, stamp on the calendar is no good. Um, Mike Gundy told us about a, uh, a news network that he had discovered that he didn't even know existed until a, uh, a few days ago. OAN, is that right? Yeah, One American News Network. He's like they just—they don't have any opinions. They just report the news. Yeah, that's that's not quite accurate. N- not not exactly uh, exactly right. Uh, he also said, "I'm seeing total number of cases, but what I'm not seeing is how many number of those cases that are now back to normal life." It's really interesting to me to see what the, uh, with the mainstream media. Sadly enough, just how negative everybody can be. Let's just report the news. Let's start putting some things in there that are positive because I know there's positive out there. Um, he did circle back and say that he wasn't a doctor. He said, we will adhere to the advice of public health experts who are making informed decisions in the best interest of the citizens of our nation and state based on sound scientific data. We will also buy, uh, abide... Oh, I'm sorry. That was not Mike Gundy's statement. <laughs> I was giving credit where it was not due. The uh, the folks at Oklahoma State came out with a statement after Mike Gundy's press conference yesterday, and it said this, We will adhere to the advice of public health experts who are making informed decisions in the best interest of the citizens of our nation and state based on sound scientific data. We will also abide by the federal and state mandates, as well as Big 12 guidelines. We will not compromise, uh, compromise the health and well-being of our campus community. This virus is deadly, and we will do our part at Oklahoma State to help blunt the spread. And Mike Holder was a little more succinct. He uh, declined to back Mike Gundy's timeline, saying simply, May 1st seems a little ambitious. <laughs> Fair enough. That's one way to put That's it. That's 22 days from now. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably so. I do... I do love to see the sports writer that's definitely smarter than all of us use Mike Gundy as a way to just dump on anybody that thinks that, you know, we've got smart people working on this and I'm looking forward to hopefully watching some football this year as if we're all the same person and have the same outlook on things. It's really enjoyable. Sure. Seaspire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. At Seaspire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. No more, uh, now more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected. And Seaspire is working to make that happen from offering free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. They're even partnering with UMMC to turn the Seaspire Health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. You can learn more uh, about all that C Spire is doing to fight COVID-19 and be a partner with you on their website, cspire.com slash cares. Did you guys watch either the Cal Ripken Jr. break the record game last night or the, uh, the classic fights that ESPN2 aired? Neither. Last I night? feel like I was miss- I- I'm missing something now. I had no idea that was going on. No, cops and then a weather documentary on a mudslide. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's a good night of TV there. I watched Dark It actually kind of was. That's about it. 
What did you learn about mudslides? There was one in Wash- northeast Washington State that, like, basically just took out an entire neighborhood. Like, it was, like, really bad. It was super interesting, though, because I didn't realize, like, how they happened and that they still happened with, like, that sort of uh, uh, lethalness. Yeah. Well, the uh, the Cal Ripken Jr. game was fun. Um, I, I, I dated myself a little bit last night. Obi was not terribly interested. He was more interested in either trying to grab his iPad and play something or mess with his sisters or you know just generally be a little bit wild around the house. So I was having trouble getting him to, to settle in, and I said, Obi, you, you got to remember, or you got to understand, I vividly remember when this happened. I was in high school. It was in September of, what, 1995. I was almost 15 years old, and we had what was called a VCR back then. So right now, if we want to record something, we just press a button for record, and it kind of records it on the the television, like magically. You're just on the DVR. You understand that, right? And he goes, yeah, I know how we record stuff. I said, well, we had these videotapes, VHS tapes that plugged in to the VCR, and you hit the record button, and I recorded this game so that I could watch it. He's like, wait, you did what? He's like, on a, on a tape? So anyway, that part of it was kind of lost on him, and I realized that I was dating myself on that. But I vividly remember that. This is something that we talked about a week or so ago when we were going back through some of the great announcing moments and great sports moments that we've watched. It was cool to go back 22 minutes and 15 seconds. That's how long the ovation lasted for Cal Ripken Jr. between the top of the fifth and the bottom of the fifth. Once that game became official... And it was a curtain call. And then another curtain call. And he gave his jersey to his wife at the time and his kids and his hat right there. And then went back into the clubhouse and put on a new jersey and a new hat and came back out. And it was like, all right, let's play ball. But people just kept clapping. And he had another curtain call. I think there were five curtain calls before the combination of Rafael Palmero and Bobby Bonilla and a couple of other of his teammates basically pushed him out of the dugout and then gave him like a running shove to start the victory lap around Camden Yards, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And if you didn't see this, I mean, it was just, it was wildly emotional. And again, I've said this before, maybe the most amazing part of this is the fact that Chris Berman, who was doing the broadcast with Buck Martinez, kept his mouth completely closed for like 19 and a half minutes. Actually, I guess it was for the entirety of the duration, the, the, uh, entirety of the ovation. So 22 minutes and 15 seconds, he went without saying anything on the ESPN broadcast. The other thing, so, so Cal Ripken Jr. hit about 20 home runs that season. He hit number 14 on the year on the night that he tied Lou Gehrig's record, 21-30. And then in the bottom of the fourth inning, he hit another solo home run, and it was a no-doubter to left field on the night when he broke the record and they unfurled the banner on the warehouse uh, just beyond Utah Street, beyond the right field wall for 21-31. It was so cool. I don't know what it's... You know, two nights ago I mentioned that I got a little emotional watching Monday Night Football. Maybe I'm just dying for sports so much right now. I didn't get the whole, like, wave of emotion. Tears are welling up last night. But I got full-on chill bumps at one point. So maybe I'm just starved for some sports drama. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back with you. Oh, let's see him lie, J. 
Redneck Murphy has put some pretty good content out in recent days, and he's done so by putting a survey out to athletics directors of all 130 football bowl subdivision athletics directors. And he got pretty good response, a pretty good response rate. 112 of the 130 athletics directors responded. We talked some about uh, last week about some of the quotes about you know the importance of the revenue tied to um, college football season and some of the quotes that came in. This is all from the same survey, but he's kind of releasing the information uh, a little bit at a time. The story that came out today, the headline is this, ADs overwhelmingly favor expanded college football playoffs. 88%, 88% of football bowl subdivision athletic directors want an expanded college football playoff when the current contract ends following the 2025 season. Of those athletics directors who favor an expanded playoff, 72% believe that eight teams should qualify, and 66% say the highest-ranked non-Power 5 team should receive an automatic bid to the playoff. So in terms of preferred playoff format when it expires in 2026, of the 112 athletics directors surveyed, 12 of them say that a four-team playoff, which is what we've got right now, is what we need going forward. Small percentage. Five of them favor a six-team playoff, so that would be a couple of buys for the playoff. I'm sorry, these are percentages, not actual numbers. So 12%, and then 5% for a six-team playoff. 72% favor an eight-team playoff. 8% favor a 16-team playoff which even I, who have been a longtime proponent of expanding the playoff, thinks too many. Well, because of what and you would have to do to get there. What do you mean? To get to 16, you would have to eliminate a game. In the regular season? In the regular season or maybe even conference championships. That's what the FBS does. I mean, they don't have they, – they crown conference champions, and that conference champion gets an auto bid to the playoffs, but they don't play a game. It's yeah. best record in the conference gets the bid. In terms of Power 5 athletics directors, so you're talking about ACC, SEC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, and I assume that Notre Dame is in this group as well. 17% like the status quo. They want to stay with the four-team playoff. 7% like the idea of a six-team playoff. 69% of Power 5 athletic directors, so almost 7 out of 10, say let's go to eight teams. And then with regard to non-Power 5 athletics directors, so ADs from the Sun Belt and Conference USA and the American and the Big West and the Mountain West, all, all those leagues, only 9% like the idea of keeping it as it is. 5% of them like the idea of a six-team playoff. 75% say go to an eight-team playoff. So... It seems to me like athletics directors feel the way most of the rest of us feel. It's time to expand the playoff. Now, the the way the question was asked, I think probably was the right way. It was not, 
should we blow up the current agreement before it ends, it was at the conclusion of the current agreement, which runs through 2025, what should we do next? Does that surprise you at all that basically 8 out of 10, 80% of athletics directors across the country that have football bowl subdivision teams favor going to a different format? No. No. Because the surprise new, me at all. Yeah, the new format means more access and more money. So, yep. And that's, that's the simple as you can put it right there, that, that there's a better chance to, to make more money, which is, at the end of the day, what this is all about. Yeah. I said 82. It's actually 88%. So almost 9 out of 10 athletics directors feel that way. So what would keep us at four? I don't think it's going to when the contract runs out. I really don't. But if it no. does stay, what would keep it there? The general inability for the sport that's structured terribly to actually have a conventional and fair playoff. I mean, when has college football ever actually gotten their postseason correctly? Back when they used to let uh, news reporters crown national champions. The old I UPI do like days. The polls on two two yeah. hands. BCS yeah. was fun. You know, if you look back at the BCS, though, and you can do it now with the college football playoff, and that's not the point. So you'll get that for a counter is, well, how many college football playoffs ended with a team that you didn't think was the national champion? Well, none of them. And the thing is, Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, um, probably are still winning the national championship if they expand it to eight teams. But that's not really the point that we're trying to make. We don't think that the champion is getting left out. It's just... More meaningful football is more enjoyable for everyone. So why not do it? Everybody else does it. Why not us? Well, you get the argument you'd have more Oklahoma-LSU games as if every game between a 1 and a 4 or lesser team would result in that. By that attitude, I don't think the Tennessee Titans would have made the playoffs. Didn't they make the AFC title game? I forgot. That's right. Yeah, I, I think they did. But, I mean, the NFL but they beat the football t- are different. Team. There's only right. one or two elite teams. It was the Ravens and the Chiefs. The, I, I will say this. Generally speaking, the BCS got it right. I mean, we, we ended up with the right two teams playing for the national champion, and then whoever won that was the national champion. What, you had two instances where there was some pretty significant controversy. Didn't it involve Auburn once and LSU once? Am I am I remembering that correctly, Hey o- Dad? 04 Auburn for sure. 04 okay, Auburn. Okay, 04 yeah. Auburn. And then oh uh oh, oh gosh, what year LSU won the national championship, but Southern Cal was also undefeated. Right. Who did LSU beat in that 03? championship game? Oklahoma, who had just lost the Big Twelve champion. They had been number one all year. And they lost the Big 12 championship game, but stayed at number two. That might have been the year prior, 2003, I think. What other sport on earth's playoff is one round? And what Rippy was saying, by the way, about when you look at... So why is college footballs? Or why was it and now it's two, four teams? What other playoff has four teams? Well, I would say, I mean, not everything has to be the same. I mean... College football doesn't have... I mean, college basketball's postseason is wildly different than the NBA's postseason, and that's okay. I mean, we, we talk about March Madness being 
you know, maybe the greatest postseason event on the planet. So they don't all have to be the same. In fairness, though, 68 teams make March Madness and half the league make the playoffs in the NBA. But it's still different. It is different, but like 12, 16, 68, and then two, or until a couple years ago, four, like one of those is not like the other. We're sort of missing. Okay, I feel like I'm defending the current system, though, all of a sudden, which you know is not how I feel about it. I am for an expansion, but I would say this. Don't we talk all the time about once you get past four teams, do you really have anybody else out there that can legitimately win it? Most years, no. But wasn't Ohio State a four seed? When? When they won. Yes. With a third-string quarterback. And that's a unique example. And they got left out the Iowa year where they got schlacked by however many points it was, and that was just too much to overcome whoever it was. Was it two, three years ago? And maybe they wouldn't have won the thing, but TCU or Baylor uh, would have at least made it a game if they would have made the playoff back in that year. I don't think... I guess the point that I was making, and hey, Dad, I know you wanted to jump in a second. I, so we're up against the break. We'll circle back to this in just a second. Just kind of wrapping up, though, the point that I was trying to make was, generally speaking, the BCS got it right. The four-team college football playoff has gotten it right. An eight-team playoff will also get it right. So it's not that we have to change the format so that we can properly crown a national champion in college football. We've basically been doing that. But why not do it? Because if four is good, why can't eight be better? Why can't we get two more games, or three more games, I guess it would be, where the stakes are going to be so incredibly high and the drama is so good? And yes, there's a monetary piece. It should generate more revenue for everybody involved. There is an element to this survey that we'll get into next and may even carry it into the 4 o'clock hour because I think there's some layers to this that actually surprises me a little bit. And it it runs counter to the argument that I've made for how we should set up an eight-team playoff. Hey, Dad, had a point to get to. We've got more on this conversation with you. Don't forget the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Sport Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. All right, hey, Dad, I think I cut you off like three times. You were trying to jump in with some comments about the playoff just a second ago. What you got? Well, going back to what Rippy said about, you know, the LSU-Oklahoma game, if you go back and look at it historically, the 1-4 game has pretty much always been out of hand. The only time it was an upset was the first year with Ohio State, and that game was out of hand. Ohio State beat Alabama pretty handily. Um, so, I mean, we're sitting there talking about, oh, there might be all these pl-. There's blowouts every year. You know, Go back to 2016 and look at how badly Clemson and Alabama beat the, the Oklahoma and, uh, and, and, and Ohio State, or I'm sorry, Notre Dame and Ohio State. It was just... Blowouts are just part of this because right now the, the top, the absolute top teams, the best teams are just they're better. They're better than everybody. Oklahoma is not as good as Alabama or Clemson or LSU. They just aren't. They're not as complete. So you know, yeah, we're going to have some blowouts, but 
That's just how it is. There was a blowout yeah. in the most recent national championship game. Yeah. Th- there was. Although, in fairness, it took a while for that to turn into a blowout. It did, Close nonetheless. For a while. Yeah, it did turn out that way. I don't mind that a four seed gets blown out. Or if we go to an eight-team format, an eight seed gets blown out. <laughs> because you're still playing the game. I mean, what's wrong with being invited to the tournament? You like that, Rippy? Yeah, whoa. Nice yeah. one there, five. No, I mean, seriously. If you do enough in the regular season, you get invited to the tournament. And if you're not good enough to advance, so be it. If you get blown out, you probably didn't deserve to win the national championship. And and I the, the argument that drives me crazy is the people that say I'm okay that this is an elite field, that it's hard to be one of the four teams. It's still going to be hard to be one of the eight teams. It's especially going to be hard to be one of the eight teams if you award the five Power Five conference champions with automatic bids. You give an automatic bid to the highest-ranked group of five team, and there are only two at-large spots available. However, that's not what the majority of Power Five athletics directors want. To me, this is a fascinating part of this survey. Who should qualify for an eight-team college football playoff? The top eight teams, Power Five champs, and the top three at-large teams. Power Five champs, two at-large teams, and the top group of five team, or something else. When taken in its entirety, the 112 athletics directors that responded to the survey... 8% Eight of eight percent say just put the top eight teams in. Fourteen percent say put the power five champs in and go with three at large. Sixty-six percent of the athletics directors polled or surveyed like the idea of going with five power five champs, two at large bids, and the top ranked group of five team, and then there were twelve percent that liked some other format. But when you go from all of the athletics directors just to the Power 5 athletics directors, so we're talking about, what, 65 ADs. 6% said give it to the top eight teams. 35% said go with the Power 5 champs and three at large. And only 59% liked the idea of guaranteeing an automatic spot for a group of five teams. And then it flips when you get to the non-Power 5 athletics directors. 71% of them favored the idea of the five Power 5 champs, two at-large spots, and the top group of five team getting in. Not one. Not one non-Power 5 athletics director voted for the idea of Power 5 champs and three at-large teams. Which makes sense because likely that doesn't benefit them. Right. So which format do you like? I like the Power 5 champs, two at large, and the group of five representative. I think that will provide some interesting matchups. 
Rippy, which, which one do you, you like? Okay. Same boat as Hey Dad. Borky, what do you like? I would like the three at large because I, I truly don't believe the highest ranked group of five would really actually belong. But in order to get this thing passed, I think that's the only option to make everybody would, happy. Would Memphis have lost worse to LSU than Oklahoma did? Probably not. So then what are we talking about? But Oklahoma would have smoked Memphis. Probably, but Oklahoma wouldn't have been playing Memphis. They would have been playing in this setup. Looks like they would have been playing Georgia. Really good game. Yeah. They provided uh, some pretty good theater at the Rose Bowl a couple of years back. We'll continue this conversation, get to some of your thoughts on it on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. One hour in the books. We'll be right back. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. We are uh, rolling into some new territory. We played with this a little bit yesterday. If you happen to be following us on Twitter at Sports Talk Mississippi, Sports Talk M-I-S-S is the, the Twitter handle. Uh, you'll notice now at the top of the Twitter app on your phone, you've got the uh, Periscope live stream, so you can watch the show live. I'm coming to you from uh, my office at home, Michael Borkio. Uh, Borkio? Just gave you a new last name, I think. Michael Borkio is coming to us from Studio X in Jackson, kind of the control center. Uh, Rippy is at our Oxford studio, and Brian Hayda has apparently frozen in time. It happens. It's a nice picture, hey, Dad. Thank you. Um, we think you're stuck like behind a, a firewall of some sort. <laughs> Is that a fat head? <laughs> I'm I, I, literally I mean the actual sticker night. Like I didn't mean literally, but uh, anyway, you can uh, you can also watch the uh, live stream at supertalktv.com. It'll redirect you to the Watch Live page at supertalk.fm. So, uh, Planner, I'm still working on uh, getting all the uh, the kinks worked out on that, but uh, I think this is going to be fun and uh, kind of a, a cool new way for you to consume Sports Talk Mississippi on the go. So, let's go back to the conversation that we were having um, prior to the break. Uh, based on the article, the uh, survey that Brett McMurphy Uh, put out. He had 112 of the 130 football bowl subdivision athletics directors uh, respond to a survey, covered a ton of topics on there, and he has released some of the content relating to the college football playoff. And overwhelmingly, 88% of the athletics directors at the FBS level are for an expansion of the playoff in some form following the conclusion of the 2025 contract. So that's the uh, the contract that is in place right now and runs through the 2025 college football season. But it gets uh, a little bit different when you talk about who should get in and how they should get in. Borky, I, I feel like a little bit of a broken record here, but I've been beating this drum for a long time and will continue to because I, I, think, it's, um, I think it's a fun way to go about the college football playoff. You and I disagree on this, and that's certainly okay. I like the idea of the five Power Five conference champions because it eliminates this conversation of, well, it devalues the regular season. 
Heck, no, it doesn't devalue the regular season. You have to win your conference. You have to win your conference to get into the college football playoff. Or you have to be one of two at-large teams, and so you have to have an exceptional season just to get in. And I like the idea of allowing one group of five team into the college football playoff. It'd be a different team pretty much every year. Who who are some of the teams that would have gotten in in recent years? Last year it would have been Memphis. The year before that, I guess it would have been UCF, right? Um, Or is that two years before? Two years before, for sure, the 17th season. 18... Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. They got in. They yeah, were undefeated. It was, it was UCF. Yeah, they, yeah. they lost to LSU. Yeah, that's right. So UCF would have gotten in at least once, maybe twice. You rewind a little farther, you would have had Boise State at one point as part of this. San Diego State is a team that would have been in the running. Um, if Kalani Sataki could get things going, BYU is a team that could potentially be in the running. Houston feels like a team that could be in the mix. Um, who are the other teams? I mean, it said Memphis would have been there last year. Cincinnati. But a handful of teams from the have. American Athletic Conference that could potentially be there. Yeah. Uh, Memphis was the highest. Right behind them was Appalachian State at 13 and 1. Cincinnati was down at, at 21. So any of those three a year ago. Uh, In 2015, it appears it would have been Houston at 15. Okay. But your eight teams would have been Clemson. Alabama, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Iowa, Stanford, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. I love that. 2016 would have been Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Washington, Penn State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, with your at-large team, Western Michigan. Yeah, see, that's that's where you lose me. And Look, I like the idea of Memphis getting a shot. But in a year where Western Michigan would have taken a slot over Florida State, you lose me. Because that's what would have happened that year, I assume. Florida State being number 8 would have been replaced by Western Michigan. They didn't win the ACC that year. That just, you lose me. I I don't want to watch Western Michigan get absolutely blown out by Clemson. Do you have a problem with the 16 seeds in the NCAA tournament? Because they're not the 68 best teams. I think the NCAA tournament, um, there's... Okay, I'm going to say two different things at once, and they're contradictory, but I like the NCAA tournament. I think it's fun. It's also not the best way to determine a champion. You could literally cut the field in half and never lose a Final Four appearance. So I'm just not there. I don't care if 16 seeds get in. Why is that game exciting to me? Like, you had one... In the history of ever. That's great. It was a cool story, but, I mean, otherwise it's terrible. I don't get excited to watch Maryland-Baltimore County as a 16 seed. It just doesn't do anything for me. Western Michigan football will never do anything for me. Who changed Hey Dad's photo? I think we got it working. He's live. There we go. Beautiful. (laughs) But, Borky, Western Michigan... I mean, that's the exception rather than the rule, right? I mean, Western Michigan doesn't do anything for you. What about Boise State? Is Boise State being in there okay with you? Not really if they're going to get smoked. Look at 17. So 17, it would have been UCF. That's 
fine. But there is it, well, but hold on, tap the brakes on though. Boise Boise State's automatically going to get smoked though because we've seen Boise State get into access bowl level games and win multiple times. What what's the other one? Well, they won the Fiesta Bowl twice. Who'd they beat in the second one? Everybody remembers the Oklahoma one, but who'd they beat in the second one? Am I crazy? Hey, Dad's pounding the Google machine furiously. That was me. Oh. It was him. What year? Am I not crazy? Uh, did, did Boise State not win two? Yes, the Access second one, they beat Arizona games. in 2014, 38-30. Okay. Yeah, see, look, I, it could happen. I know it could happen, but you can't Excuse argue. Me. They've won three Fiesta Bowls. Oh, wow. 09 T- or 2010 TCU, I guess it's the 20, 2009 season. That's so that when TCU be... was still a group of five team. Yeah. Yeah. So three Fiesta Bowls. Here's another layer to this that I find fascinating. So, again, I've been beating the drum for the scenario that all the group of five athletics directors want, where you go Power Five conference champions, two at-large teams, and then the highest-ranked group of five team. And the question goes, well, what do you do with those quarterfinal games? Because right now we have two semifinal games that are at bowl sites that rotate every two years, and then you've got the national championship game that happens at a, a you know a predetermined site based on who says we'll pay you the most money to host the game. So what do you do with the quarterfinal games? Do you use the current bowl system to host those games, or do you allow the games to be played on campus of the higher seed? I love the idea of having postseason football on-campus sites because if you're playing these quarterfinal games, so Borky, let's use your Western Michigan as as an example. Western Michigan against Clemson in Orlando at Camping World Stadium that seats about 70,000. How many people are going to go to that game? 40? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you just you can't ask fan bases to do what three different locations to travel three, in three weeks, weeks in a row. Yeah, you can't do that, uh, especially if you're putting such a great value on conference championship games just to get into this tournament. So you've got fan bases that will have people that have traveled to a conference championship game, and then you're going to ask them to travel three consecutive times. So put them on campus. So instead of having a 70,000-seat stadium with 40,000 people in it. Clemson gets to play a home game. Oklahoma gets to play a home game. Alabama gets to play a home game. Whoever the, you know, Southern Cal gets to play a home game, assuming Southern Cal ever gets their problems worked out. They look fantastic. The stakes are incredibly high. And then we'll roll into the neutral sites for the, for the semifinals and the championship game. I'll give you the breakdown on what athletics directors think about that. When we come back, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. All 
right, if I'm looking at this correctly, this is what the playoff would have looked like last year. LSU won the SEC, Ohio State won the Big Ten, Clemson won the ACC, Oklahoma won the Big 12, and Oregon won the Pac-12. Right, they defeated Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Right. Your two at-large teams would have been Georgia, who was ranked fifth in the final college football playoff poll, and Baylor, who was ranked seventh in the college football playoff poll. And then Memphis was the highest-ranked non-Power 5 team. All right, so those are the eight teams that we're dealing with from last year. Now let's look at this for a second. Where should quarterfinals be played for an eight-team playoff? When you take all 112 athletics directors that responded to Brett McMurphy's survey at WatchStadium.com, 53% play on-campus highest seed, 47% say use either a bowl game or a neutral site. That's when you take all the ADs. When you take just the Power 5 ADs, 55% on-campus, 45% neutral or a bowl game. And when you take the non-Power 5 ADs by themselves, it's 52-48. So let's go with on-campus sites for a second. Memphis at LSU. Baylor at Ohio State. Oregon at Clemson. Georgia at Oklahoma. What am I not supposed to like? Get- I was going to say, do you, do you dig games happening in Baton Rouge, Columbus, Clemson, and Norman? Maybe two weeks after the college football championship games? Yes, I'm very much in favor of that. So you play the conference championship games on either the first or second Saturday, preferably the first Saturday of the month of December. I guess that's normally when those happen. Two Saturdays later, right before Christmas, you play the four quarterfinal games on campus... And then you go to your normal time frame. The, what, the Saturday around New Year's, you play the two semifinal games, and then a week and a half later, on that Monday night, you play the national championship game. That's awesome. I love that. And then, the I mean, you inevitably are going to have somebody say, well, that's not exactly a bowl experience for Georgia, Oregon, Baylor, and Memphis. I mean, they just go on the road to another college football stadium. They don't get to go stay in a hotel and get bowl gifts. Eh, give them bowl gifts, whatever. They just made the college football playoff. They Who cares not... if they didn't get to go spend, you know, an extra day and a half at Magic Kingdom? The players themselves would care less than any person out there, too. Exactly. I mean, they don't, they don't get their little perk package, but I'm pretty sure they'll find a way to make up for that. The teams in the bowl games would have traded spots with them. That's true, too. The bowl Absolutely. system, by the way, I don't know if we brought that up. That's what's holding this back, is there's just so much money tied up in, into all of these bowl games, and there's this belief that if we allow eight teams, it's just going to make the Independence Bowl worthless, which, you know, newsflash, it already is. That, that's what's holding all of this back. There's just, and I've said it before, there's just so much money tied up in everything that nobody wants to be the one who changes anything. Quadruple header 
on the Saturday before Christmas, or yeah, basically a week before Christmas. Now, all of these are east of the Mississippi. Well, Oklahoma's not east of the Mississippi, but middle of the country. So you don't have a West Coast team where you can automatically make them the late game. So let's slot these four games for television. LSU-Memphis, that's going to be the, the night game, right? they got to be. They're the number one seed. They want to play at home at night, so they're going to be the late game. But they're not going to kick off to like 8.30 Central time. Who's kicking off at 10.30 Central or maybe 11 o'clock? I guess you go to the Eastern time zone. So you can either go Clemson, Oregon, or Ohio State, Baylor. Let's say because of weather concerns, it might be colder. I don't know. You want to put Ohio State, Baylor, can we kick off at 10.30 Central or do you have to do an 11 o'clock Central kick? Probably got to be 11. Yeah, it seems like that way. No, forget that. We kick off at 11 o'clock here. They can do 11.30 there. East Coast, they can start at 11 for all I care. Start the games at 10 o'clock Central. It's about time the East Coast gets a little payback for our 11 a.m. misfortunes. No, that's, okay. 8 so, Pacific, that's 8 a.m. out west, right? I mean, are you really going to want to do that? Who cares? I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah, I the Pac-12 is exploring kicking off that early anyway. So That's true. All right, so so 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central. Are you going to try? Is there going to be a little bit of overlap with these games? It depends on how you sell it, right? Because if you sell I mean, it to could, one entity, you've got to allow three and a half hours. Right. If you sell it to ESPN, there doesn't have to be. Uh, if you sell it to Fox, there doesn't have to be. Maybe you start a second game on FS1. and uh, But if you sell it well, to... That's, that's still overlap, though. Right, but at least like they don't care because it's their programming block all day long. It gets a little dicey, doesn't it, if you sell two of the games to Fox and two of the games to CBS. If you're Fox, hey, I'm buying this early kickoff and Come you're on, telling man. me this... We, we all know ESPN's getting the whole kit and caboodle here. You think so? It's going to be a combination of games on ESPN and ABC. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. You don't uh, think Fox right, would want to step in and try to at least fight for it? Yeah, they might. They got all the money for drive it. the price up. Mickey Mouse will write the check. So 10 a.m. Central Time, Ohio State, Baylor. one thirty, Clemson, Oregon. 5 o'clock... OU Georgia and 830 LSU Memphis. All of them on campus. Ratings bonanza. Let's do it. Let's start this this year. We don't even know if we're going to have a college football season. Let's play it this way this year. So I, you, 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 you can't not convince me that this is great. This would be a, a an unbelievable day for college football. What would it have looked like if we rewind the year? So we're in 2019, so let's go to 2018. Somebody just tweeted this. Let me see if I can find it. Somebody, somebody did, did this all up, and they had who was like the top at large that got left out. Um, here we go. So, 2018. 
Alabama won the SEC. Mm-hmm. Clemson won the ACC. Notre Dame is going to be one of your at-larges. They were undefeated. Right. Oklahoma won the Big 12. They beat yeah. uh, they beat Texas in the rematch. Ohio, see, Georgia is going to be your other at-large team. Ohio State won the Big Ten. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, UCF is out, right? Yeah, UCF would not have been. Oh, yeah, no, they would have been the uh, the highest ranked they're, group they're of the, five uh, yeah, team. The group of five team. And so for the a Pac-12, you would have had Washington State, right? They didn't win the Pac-12 that year. Washington did. Washington won it. Sorry. There you go. Okay. And this this is where so, I so, do have an So in issue this with. particular year, no, I was just going to say, in this particular year, your group of five team would not have been the eighth seed. They would have right. been the seventh seed. And that, but this is where I have an issue with it. What's Washington's record here? They have like three losses, right? But they won their conference. It's okay. I mean, I, but... I mean, I get it's sort of like the NFL thing where you can go nine and seven, but if you win your division, you get in. But I mean, I I, I don't particularly care for that. Well, I don't know if you can have it all. No, you probably can't. You might. It really does seem like it's going to have to be. Wait, a best. so it's crazy to not want Western Michigan to make it, but it's not crazy to be okay with a three-loss Washington making it. Look, man, Washington had three losses that year by two, five, ten points. They lost to Auburn in the opener. They lost by three in overtime at Oregon, and they lost twelve to ten at Cal. That's a nine and four, nine kind and of four, a gross eight and five loss. team. I mean, it's not like they have great losses. In Western so Michigan, college football has playoff over Eastern Michigan, real yeah. good stuff there. You would have had Washington at Alabama, UCF at Clemson. That could have been fun. Ohio State at Notre Dame. Georgia at Oklahoma. We're getting a lot of Georgia-Oklahoma in this. Been pretty darn good. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and video streaming at supertalktv.com. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Chandler Rome joins us right now. He is the Houston Astros beat writer at the Houston Chronicle. You can follow him on Twitter at Chandler underscore Rome. So Chandler, Jeff Passan's uh, report earlier this week uh, really um, got a lot of people at least temporarily excited, and then Major League Baseball kind of threw some cold water on it. As we start, just kind of your general impressions and maybe what you've been able to pick up or add to or take away from that initial report yesterday, or uh, I guess it was maybe late Monday night from, uh, from Jeff Passan at ESPN. Yeah, so I think now in hindsight, we can maybe look at the report a a tad differently. Um, It's no coincidence that the report dropped as late as it did that night. I remember I was 
I was almost asleep by the time my phone went off with the notification and I was reading and I was kind of in shock reading the whole thing. And then it's no surprise that Major League Baseball had a statement ready to go pretty much first thing the next morning. Um, it does appear that this was something of a trial balloon, um, Major League Baseball or whoever. Um, deciding to, to leak the information out there to kind of see how it's perceived um, by fans, by media, by the players themselves. I talked to a couple players just in the last few days that they were aware that there were negotiations starting about possibly playing the entire season in Arizona, but not, none of the players I spoke to were aware of some of the stipulations that Jeff had in his story, um, the the, tra- the travel restrictions of being able only to go to the park and back, basically being locked in a hotel, um, kind of those things. They were unaware of that. So when they saw that, that was kind of the first time they learned about it, too. Um, and speaking with those players and speaking with a couple of coaches just kind of around the league, you get the sense that they want to play. This is not a situation where the players are, are trying to the, – uh, everybody wants to play. The owners want to play because they're losing money. The players want to play because they want to get paid and they want to get their stats pat, padded up for some of these guys that are going into arbitration. Some of these guys are, are heading to free agency. Everybody wants to play. But there are just some things about what was in that story that, that I don't think would be agreeable or amenable. And the top one – is the thought that these guys could be sequestered for four and a half months away from their families. Um, I, I talked to a player last night that said, and this is a direct quote, he said, we'll do almost anything we can to play, but being away from our families for four and a half months is not one of them. And, you know, I think a lot of times, not only just in baseball, but in sports in general, we forget that these guys are humans. I mean, Jose Altuve, the Astros' second baseman, he, his wife's expecting their second child uh, in a couple of months. There's a few guys on the Astros that have kids that are, you know, less than a year old. And you have to wonder, some of these questions that start to happen, you know, what if the kid gets sick? Or are they going to allow uh, the players to leave the bubble? Are they going to allow Jose Altuve to leave Arizona to go see the birth of this child? And if he comes back, does he have to quarantine for 14 days? Does that mean he has to miss 14 days worth of games? I mean, there's, there's so many roadblocks and so many hurdles, it seems, in this plan that, that are really tough to – to maybe justify and to overcome, but uh, I think it's worth noting, though, that, that this there's still so much unknown about what's going to happen with this virus, about its spread, and about everything like that, and I think we'll know a whole lot more at the end of the month, obviously, than we know right now, but I, I think players are open to the possibility of having to play in one place or being um, placed in separate locations, if you will, but the whole family thing and the whole um, you know, basically being on lockdown for four and a half months, I don't think that really jived well with many players that read it. But, but Chandler, if the alternative is, okay, well, then you can't play and you can't get paid, I mean, maybe that works for a guy who has been making $13 million for the last four years, but what about for the guy who's making league minimum and is trying to make a club and is, you know, trying to feed his family? Not, not that that's an insignificant amount of money. I mean, we talked some about this, but I mean, if you got a whole bunch of money sitting in the bank, it's really easy to say that. But if you need to work, then don't you go, okay, this is not fun and this isn't the way we really want to do it, but it's my job. And if I don't want to do it, somebody else will. 
Look, and, and I think these guys realize that. These guys realize that it is there is a very, very remote possibility that, that anything is normal about this baseball season. Now, you never know yeah. with bio. I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on the radio, so I'm not going to try to figure out how the virus is going to spread. I'm not going to try to make any predictions of things getting better or worse. But just as we sit hey, right by now, the way, good for you because Rippy pretends to be a doctor all the time. <laughs> it's uh, that old miseducation, you know. You can you can do anything once you survive. An <laughs> yeah, that's what but it anyway, is. Anyway, I think I, I think once I think players understand that this is going to be different, and players are open to things being different. They are open to doing pretty much a ton of stuff differently to be able to get this to work because the players also know that in the first agreement between the MLB and the PA. They agreed not to sue the league for their salaries if this season is canceled. They understand that if this season is canceled, they're going to be losing out on a ton of money. They get that. And there's yeah. some, like you mentioned, that have played in the league for a while that have enough saved up to where it's not going to affect them that much. You're, you look at Justin Verlander, a guy that is donating every paycheck he's getting during the pandemic to a different charity, which good for him, but that kind of also illustrates where he's at financially. Not every player in the league is like that. And there are some guys that would probably be more in tune with that plan. I was talking to a player last night that he, he didn't say this outright, but he said, you know, with you see Jeff Passan going on ESPN and saying he's got players texting him that are for it. Well, the player that I was talking to last night was not for it, and he was in a different situation, and we kind of surmised that maybe the players that are for it are – you know, like guys you mentioned, guys that are making around that league minimum, guys that, that need the money a little bit greater, maybe guys that don't have immediate family, the guys that aren't married, guys that don't have kids, things like that. So there's going to be a lot of stuff to hash out. There's a reason there's a, that, that's the reason that there is a union. The union tries to do what's best for the majority of the players. But I, I think the one thing that I'll keep stressing is this is not a situation where the players don't want to play. The players want to play as badly as anyone. And that's a consensus I've gotten from a lot of players. It's just th- there are some things that, that they're really going to have to try to overcome. And maybe it's as easy as finding a way to ensure that families can be with the players if it is in this sequestered environment. I'm not sure if that yeah. would alleviate everything, but that is a big sticking point. The fact that, you know, um, I had one player tell me, you know, we didn't sign up to be in the military. And that's what they kind of read <laughs> this story as. It's like they're on a military base. They're on lockdown for four and a half months. And, um, you know, shout out to, to the veterans and the military people that, that signed up to do it. When you, when you play baseball, when you sign a contract, you're not signing up knowing that you're going to be away from your family. That's not part of the deal. For some other jobs, you know, offshore and, and, and military, you know, that's part of the deal. People sign up full well knowing that they're going to be estranged from their families for a little bit. That's not what a baseball player signed up for. I know you're a reporter, but I'm going to ask you, ask you to speculate. We've only got about a minute and a half left here. Let's say that this thing gets played in front of empty stadiums, whether it's with this Arizona plan or, or some other way. Does that benefit the Houston Astros, who are going to be public enemy number one, or will the vigilante justice that we expected to see throughout Major League Baseball throughout the course of the year, will that happen whether fans are in the stands or not? It just feels like it might make for a more sterile environment. I certainly think the Astros would benefit from that um, because that was going to be the biggest question mark going into their season was how mentally were they going to handle 
kind of the psychological toll of the sign stealing scandal and its fallout. Um, and when you're not hearing and ch- getting chanted that you suck every day or you're a cheater every day, when you're not hearing that every day, it's got to be a lot easier to compartmentalize, just in my opinion. Um, you know, I don't know about the vigilante justice. You may see some guys get hit. Um, there's guys going on record saying that they would hit Astros batters if um, if given the opportunity, but that was also before a pandemic started. And if one thing, mm-hmm. if the pandemic's done one thing, I think it's maybe offered everybody a little bit of a dose of perspective. Um, it's maybe put a, a little bit of, put a lot of things in a different light and maybe shown what's really important. So perhaps there's a decrease in that. Perhaps people are just so happy to be playing baseball again that they're not going to worry about that. But um, I will say, you know, the pandemic doesn't change the fact that the Astros cheated. It doesn't change the fact that what they did was wrong and what they did was inexcusable. And fans aren't going to forget it. Um, I'd imagine the first time fans are let back in, um, when the Astros go on the road, it's not going to be pretty. Um, but maybe, you know, the pandemic has offered a, enough of perspective maybe to tone it down a bit. But I, I don't yeah. see that happening. But I do think if the Astros play in front of no fans this year, it certainly will benefit them. I just wonder if sometimes baseball brawls are partly egged on by fans being in the stands. I mean, you're going to have to have guys, for there to be a brawl in baseball, if they're playing in an empty stadium where it's just the two teams and umpires, I mean, you're going to have to have guys that genuinely are mad at each other, not just kind of playing it up for the uh, fans. Chandler, always appreciate your perspective. Hope uh, you can continue to stay safe and uh, do the great work that you always do. Thanks. All right, All right guys. Thank you all. That is uh, Chandler Rowan from the Houston Chronicle. Does a nice job covering the Astros. He's been on the LSU beat and uh, has done a lot in the uh, Southeast. Covered Alabama for a while as well. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. You know, when we were talking with Chandler on the Farm Bureau phone line a, uh, a couple of minutes ago, it was the first time that I had thought about that. We've talked a lot about the possibility of fights in Major League Baseball, especially as it pertains to the Houston Astros this year. But I have not given any thought to a Major League Baseball fight, a brawl, in an empty stadium. Does that take on a different feel? Like, I mean, don't you think those guys... I mean, okay, yeah, maybe you can get full-on angry. You can have a fight with a pickup basketball game in the driveway. If you know, the right trigger hits. But don't you think some of those fights are fueled by the the momentum that comes from fans? Maybe less coaches get tossed. Probably escalated a little bit, but a lot of them actually are probably stem from prior beefs because they play each other so many times a year. Yeah. Now, yeah, will they escalate like the, to the point of actual fighting and brawls, like with no fans there, and no one yelling to egg them on when they're exchanging FUs, like across home plate and in between a catcher? I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot that's said that you never hear on a baseball diamond because even when there's, even when fans aren't cheering, there's like the constant, like, white noise buzz in the background at the ballpark. If you watch a Major League Baseball game, just a random you know, mid-July Tuesday night when there's no action in the bottom of the fourth inning, home team batting, you know, whatever. It's just, it's like there's this, like, 
baseline level of noise. Nobody's cheering. Nobody's, you know, you hear the PA, you got the announcers on TV, but they lay out for a second and it just feels like outside and there are people about it. It's just like a, a hum. Imagine what you're going to be able to hear if you these guys play in empty stadiums. Whew. You know it would be even better? If they added like a small pay-per-view feed or something where you could get unedited field mics? You know, if they think they can generate more revenue. I did see uh, what it was in Jeff Passon's piece that one of the uh, the things that was being talked about was more players mic'd up. I mean, that worked so very well early in spring training this year. I mean, we're talking about this like it's going to happen, so maybe the question is, maybe, the, maybe that's the better question right now. Do you believe Jeff Passon's report? Do you believe this is going to happen? Or not so much? In some form, I don't know about the whole just keep them in a bubble for four months where they can't see their families and all of that, but do I think it's more likely they play in Arizona or in their own cities in empty stadiums is probably the question here. I did find it interesting uh, from Chandler talking to players, and right now, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be away from my family that long because right now there's still an option. I wonder how much the tone would change if they're told it's either this or not at all. Because there is that growing... I mean, I read it in The Athletic today. It just There are players that want to play. Even he said they will do almost anything to make sure that they play. And what if they're given no other option? I think they might change their tone a little bit. Have we mentioned that Dana White is buying a private island? We have yeah, not mentioned that. It's a good movie. <laughs> what are the details there? Uh, it's called Norman's K, and they're going to have a music fest. No, I don't know. He just said secure a private island. They said today that he they were just a couple fire. of days away from it. Um, it's going to happen. Everybody keeps referencing a, a book, but I don't read, so I don't know what it is. Um, that like this is the direct plot <laughs> of some book or a movie from a long time ago where people did an event on an island and then there was a murderer and killed everybody, right. and that this is going to be the sorcerer Shang Tsung. He held a tournament, right? And Liu Kang shows up, and he with you know for the Thunder God Raiden. And, wait, is this not the same thing? This is Mortal Kombat. This is what's happening here. I want Dana White in a throne yelling, finish him. Isn't that Gladiator? Oh, no, that's, no, that's Karate Mortal Kid. Kombat. That's Karate Kid. That's a different thing. Sensei, standing on the side, he goes, finish him! Do you have a problem with that? I, I, don't, I no do not sensei. have a problem with that. No Sensei. Um, you mentioned top get of the show a today. Body bag, Richard. Yeah. Could you get since there's no fans and it's kind of like a lawless feeling? Could you get like Joe Rogan doing what he does to prep slash during his podcast during the broadcast? You lost me. I, I don't know what Joe Rogan does to prep for his podcast. You ever seen the one with like Elon Musk? Joe Rogan partakes in different things while he does his. He podcast. thinks it's prep, nerd. <laughs> oh. Fair enough. Um, hey, Dad, you mentioned at the beginning of the show Joe Moorhead 
Former Mississippi State coach buying pizza for uh, Starkville Police Department. Very, very cool. This story cool as well. Adam Schefter reporting Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf donating $50,000 for COVID-19 relief efforts, $25,000 to Swedish Hospital in Seattle, and an additional $25,000 to purchase meals to feed those in need in his hometown of Oxford. Very cool. Very cool. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Thanks for being with us, whether you're listening on your local radio station, online at supertalk.fm, on the Supertalk Live app, or maybe you're watching along now on supertalktv.com or on the live stream via Periscope on Twitter. Wherever you are, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. And Brian Scott Rippey, the ceasefire text line is open to you. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. At ceasefire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. Now more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected. And ceasefire is working to make that happen, from offering free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. They're even partnering with UMC to turn the Seaspire Health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. Learn more at cspire.com slash cares. Just after 5 o'clock, that means it is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And remember, in this difficult time, Ford is here to help you to try and make your life a little bit easier. Many of their service centers are still open, which means you can uh, get your car in and have one less thing to worry about. Some of your local Ford dealers are even offering pickup and delivery options. Check with your local Mississippi Ford dealer for availability. Win totals for college football season are out. We get to play the over-under game with you right now. You ready, boys? You want to start with the, the lowest win totals or the highest win totals? We need to start with getting that helmet schedule out to make this a little bit easier, but uh, let's go low. I have the uh, I have the helmet schedule handy, although I guess we all need it to look at it. Uh, let's see here. Arkansas and Vanderbilt both sitting at three and a half. Three and a half, the win total for Arkansas. In their non-conference, they have games against Kent State, Charleston Southern, ULM, and a road trip to Notre Dame. So they beat Kent State, right? They beat Charleston Southern. They beat ULM, probably. Kent State was pretty bad last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they'll get so that's three, three. You think? That's it. Will they win an SEC game? No. No SEC win, so you're going under, hey, Dad, for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Put me down for the under. Yes, sir. So good grief. That'd be 16 
in a row and 23 of 24 in the league. Is that right? If they only win three games this year, is that seven wins in three seasons? Yes. Ooh. But it's improvement because they only won two last year. <laughs> mm. Rippy, you going over or under on Arkansas? I'll go over. I'll say they get finally get somebody. I believe his team is really bad, and they got someone in their first year, if I'm not mistaken. Four and eight. Chad Morris, like, redefined bad. Who are they likely to get? At Mississippi State, Texas A&M and Arlington, Bama, LSU, Tennessee, Auburn on the road, Ole Miss at home, Missouri on the road? Tell me who they're playing at the end of the year, because that's when you do not want to play Arkansas. That's a good point. At Missouri, final game of the regular season. But when I say at Missouri, I actually mean in Kansas City. Oh. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Ole Miss is um, two weeks before the end of the year. It's Ole Miss, ULM, at Missouri to finish it out. Vanderbilt, three and a half wins, over or under. Their non-conference games are Mercer, Kansas State on the road, Colorado State in Nashville, Louisiana Tech in Nashville. Whew. Uh, Under. I don't know that they'll win three. I won't be totally shocked mm. if they drop one between Colorado State and Louisiana Tech. I respect I, the rationale for why they kept Derek Mason. I really do, because it was kind of refreshingly honest, even though they chased that athletic director out of town. Basically, what he said is, we can fire Derek Mason if we want to, but until the job gets better, the next guy's going to come in, lose a bunch of games, we'll fire him too, and the cycle will just continue on forever. So I, while I appreciate that, I mean, you saw some of the pictures from Vanderbilt Stadium last year at home games. I'm talking less than 5,000 people at multiple With games With the exception of when year. they played Georgia. Right. And, you know, and LSU. 99% of the there stadium. were 30,000 Georgia fans. Exactly. I, I can't imagine being a Vanderbilt fan or, or somebody that financially invests in the program and then wants to continue my financial investment. I, I don't get it. I, I, I respect the rationale, and it does make sense because the job stinks. And until the job gets better, the next coach is probably going to lose a bunch of games too, absent James Franklin. But even still, he left there in scandal. So their best coach ever left with a black eye. So what are you doing? With all that being said, what are you doing? Losing a bunch of games again this year. It is worth remembering Malcolm Turner, that athletics director you're talking about, is no longer the AD at Vanderbilt. They chased him Um, out of there. They've got an interim. That's right. Yeah. 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 Said, Said he spent too much money. All right, the next tier of teams. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Two entirely different things when you're talking about Vanderbilt. The academic endowment and the athletics department budget. That's right. Not the same thing. South Carolina, Ole Miss, and Missouri all at five and a half on the win total line. Let's start with South Carolina. Their non-conference games are Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, Wofford and Clemson. So they should go 3 and 1 in the non-conference. They play Vanderbilt in Nashville. And then it's 
Missouri, Kentucky on the road, Florida on the road, Tennessee, A&M, Georgia, at LSU. Can you find two more wins out of that group of teams? I think so. You know, you need three more wins, wouldn't you? Yeah, to get over. I was giving them Vanderbilt as the fourth. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Three and one in the non-conference, and Vanderbilt as the fourth. So, can you get I'll two go. more out of the other seven SEC games? I'll go under, but also Vanderbilt will win more than three. Really? I'm go under, and that'll be all for Will Muschamp. They'll go to a bowl game, but yes. it still won't be enough. He's recruited well enough to not be as bad as they were last year. And I know they're replacing Rico Daddle and Tavian Feaster, but I like their quarterback. They've recruited the running back position well. It shouldn't be a bad football team relative to talent. I mean, it's definitely one that should make a bowl game. They have a bad head coach. That's the problem. They, they, will, they will be maybe 4-8, and 5-7 and seven at best. Missouri, also sitting at five and a half for their win total. Their non-conference game, Central Arkansas, Eastern Michigan, at BYU, and Louisiana Lafayette the week before they play Arkansas. I think I'm going to go over. I, as goofy as he is, uh, I think Eli Drinkwitz might actually be a really good fit there the more I think about it. Hey, on top of just being a, a pretty good football coach, I mean, look at what has happened to NC State since he's left. Not good. And then he goes to Appalachian yeah. State and wins, and he took over a program that was already pretty well built to win, but he still won there. Good offensive mind, good football coach. It kind of feels like it fits there. I mean, you can't win anything when you're going through the office interrupting people's day because you got a three-star, but <laughs> a good football coach nonetheless. <laughs> give, me, give me their non-conference one more time. Central Arkansas, Eastern Michigan, at BYU, and Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, they, they can win six. And their crossover games – their crossover games in the West are at Mississippi State and Arkansas in Kansas City. They'll beat Arkansas, they'll beat Vanderbilt, and they'll beat uh, South Carolina. All Seven right. wins. They do get Kentucky at home, which is a nice break. Seven wins. We will look at Ole Miss when we come back. They are next on the five-and-a-half win total line. Mississippi State and Kentucky are the two teams that are at six-and-a-half. Then it starts to get kind of interesting. What do you make of this Tennessee team? What do you make of this A&M team? What do you make of Florida? What do you make of Auburn? We'll get into those when we come back, and we'll continue with the college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and online at supertalktv.com. Also on Periscope on Twitter if you want to follow along there. Thanks for being with us. Running through SEC win totals. Those came out yesterday afternoon. So we've been through Vanderbilt and Missouri and South Carolina and a couple of other teams. Ole Miss is up next. They were the third team sitting at five and a half wins for the year. So if you look at the um, the non-conference slate for Ole Miss, they open with Baylor in Houston, come home for Southeast Missouri State, 
They've got UConn in Oxford late in October, and in the next to the last weekend of the regular season before they play Mississippi State on Thanksgiving night, they host Georgia Southern. So that would be your starting point for Ole Miss. Those four games in the non-conference, most people probably would pick them at three and one mm-hmm. in those four games. I would think. I. Probably so, but it just—I mean, Baylor lost what nine starters on defense. I mean, they're going to have a okay. a defensive line that's oldest player is like a redshirt sophomore, uh, so a lot to replace on that side of the ball. Although, you know, Dave Aranda's probably got that shirt up. If Matt Rule was coming back, I would say yes, you can pencil that in as a loss. I don't—I'm not as convinced right now. Roster talent should favor Ole Miss, and returning players should also. Uh, favor old Miss. Baylor loses a lot on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And a quarterback who has had serious injury or issues with concussions. Charlie it's not Charlie Miller, it's Charlie Brewer. Is it Charlie Miller? Charlie Brewer. Alternate last name. So Borky, you think Ole Miss wins that game against Baylor in Houston? Sitting here on April eighth, yeah, I do. Okay. Rippy? It's five and a half. Yeah, five and a half. Do you think Ole Miss beats Baylor in the opener? Uh, I mean, it's so. I mean, like, talk about a coin flip. I don't know because, like, like how? What are they like? The lack of preparation, however much abbreviated that is, is going to affect them more than other schools. Both, I think that's true to some degree for both schools in this state. So I'm saying it's both, both. Well, but both Ole Miss and Baylor are dealing with the same thing on that front. Yeah, I guess that is true as well. But at least you have some quarterback continuity at Baylor. I don't know. I'll give them six for the year, so I'll go over five and a half. If they get that Baylor sure. game, they will. I mean, cruise to six. Now, the the first half of the season with Auburn, LSU, and Alabama in a row will not make it feel that way. But your non conference game out games outside of Baylor are easy, and you still have Arkansas and Vanderbilt on your schedule. So, I mean. Six should be, knock on wood, uh, a given if you beat Baylor. Hey, Dad, do you think Ole Miss beats Baylor in the opener? Nah, I don't, I don't think so. Sitting here today, I don't. I, I, I would take I'm the shot on that. I, I, well, <laughs> I mean, I just don't. Uh, I think they'll. I think they're a five and seven team this year. Okay. Crossover games for Ole Miss. Vanderbilt is the permanent opponent this year. They've got Florida in Oxford. Borky uh, mentioned that stretch that we've talked about. It's Auburn at home. This is week three, four, and five. Auburn at home, at LSU, Alabama at home. They've got the road trip to Vanderbilt and then come home for Florida. Who did this state, we in general, piss off at the SEC office for both schools to have that stretch, just in different order? Yeah, you're right. Mississippi State gets it middle of the year where they go to Alabama, go to LSU, and then host Auburn. For Ole Miss, it's Auburn at LSU and Alabama at home. Thank you for that, Greg. We we appreciate you. Earliest game for Mississippi State against Alabama in like I think like fifty years or something like that. So, Rippy and Borky both said over the five and a half. I lean in the direction of over. And hey, Dad's got Ole Miss just under at five and seven. All right, so those are the teams at five and a half wins. What about six and a half wins? You've got uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky. So let's do Kentucky first. Non-conference for Kentucky this year: Eastern Michigan, 
Kent State, Eastern Illinois, and Louisville on the road. Way over. Kentucky should have a pretty good team. Yeah. Man, they should be 3-1 and one there. I think they would beat Vanderbilt, Missouri, South Carolina, so there's six. Uh, who's their other West team? They host Mississippi State. I know that. That's the permanent. Who's the Auburn. other? Auburn. At Auburn. That's at Auburn. They probably won't, they probably won't win that. So I've got them at six. They can get to seven. I mean, Tennessee, State, uh, those would be toss-up kind of games. They, they could get to seven easily. Who's playing quarterback? What wide receiver is going to play quarterback? Uh, Terry Wilson should be back. Well, Terry right? Wilson get a medical Richard. But... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just kind of joking. I'm just saying that. though, they might want to go with the wide receiver. It, it worked last year. They could get to eight with relative, not ease, but like not unrealistic at all. I think, think that's about way this too conversation. Low. Just a picture us having this. Yeah, they should get to eight with relative ease. Not being a crazy statement. Talking about Kentucky football. What a job yeah. he's done. Good coach. No question. No question. Mississippi State at six and a half. Bulldogs open with New Mexico. They go to NC State in week two. And then they've got Arkansas and Tulane in back-to-back home games. Actually, three straight home games. Four of the first five for Mississippi State are at home. New Mexico at NC State, then Arkansas, Tulane, and Texas A&M to start the year. Non-conference games for the Bulldogs, New Mexico... NC State, Tulane, and Alabama A&M. No trouble with New Mexico. No trouble with Alabama A&M. So you're giving them a win against NC State. You are giving them a win against Tulane. Yeah, I mean, here's here's how I'm looking at it. I think they'll win their non-conference games. NC State's not very good, and Tulane is – I mean, Tulane's a, a good group of five team, but State should be able to beat them. And then I think, you know, they'll beat Arkansas, and I think they'll beat Missouri. So they just have to get one more. I'm pretty sure they can do that. For what it's worth, um, NC State opens the season in Louisville. Hmm. So they have Louisville on the road, Mississippi State at home to start the season. I guess you'll know a lot about NC State after two weeks. Mm-hmm. I lean in the direction of over by half a game. I, I think Mississippi State probably goes 7-5. and five. I'm not sure exactly what I think that 7-5 and five looks like right now. Um, you know, probably the difference in it being six or seven in my mind is the uh, the outcome of the Egg Bowl. Yeah, shocking, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, between between Kentucky and and uh, and Ole Miss, if you're two and zero in there, you're probably eight and four. If you're one and one, you're seven and five. If you're zero and two, you're six and six. You giving them a win against Missouri at home? I am. Okay. Life after uh, Kelly Bryant. Do what now? Life after Kelly Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. Tennessee at seven and a half wins. Non-conference for Tennessee, Charlotte at Oklahoma, Furman, and Troy. Three and one, right? Three and one. Ah, look out for those Paladins in week three. What are you doing? It's a playoff team a year ago. Don't sleep on them. Three and one. No, you're not going to do that. They beat Arkansas. <laughs> Toss-up game. That's four. They beat Vanderbilt at the end of the year. That's five. Mm-hmm. Who's their other West? Probably outside. lose to Florida. You going to give them a win against Missouri? Who's their other West? Alabama, Arkansas. Alabama. 
Oh, so they have Arkansas. Okay. Yeah. Missouri, I already gave them a win against Arkansas. Okay, okay, okay. So Missouri Missouri would be seven. I'll give them a win against South Carolina. That's That That gets me to, okay. to seven, right? I get you to seven. So, so some more? combination of Missouri, Kentucky, got to win one of those. Missouri. They can do that, yeah. I'd go over. Eight and a half wins for Auburn. Non-conference games against Alcorn State, North Carolina in Week 2, Southern Miss in Week 4, and UMass in Week... Well, they get two regular season games after UMass. Ooh. Auburn's got LSU the week before the Iron Bowl this year. Yeah, that's tough. And Alabama <laughs> has Texas A&M the week before the Iron Bowl this year. Oh, what no happened Cupcake to those? City. Yeah, what happened to that? What are they thinking? What are they thinking? I thought that used to be the uh, that was like the, the template for those soft schedules. Yeah, Auburn. Auburn is eight and a half. Eight and a half. Boy, that's fitting, Under. isn't it? Under. Cautiously you got seven or eight. I, I I got them three and one in the non-conference, and then they'll beat State, Ole Miss. Who's their other East? We just talked about it. Was it was it Mizzou, Georgia, Kentucky? No, I know. I know. The, when I say oh, the yeah, other, Kentucky I know who the permanent is. Yes, thank you. Uh, Kentucky yeah. and Georgia. They probably win eight. Okay. So you think they lose to North Carolina in week two? Are we going to bet against Longo again? Didn't y'all learn your lesson last year on that? Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's at the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. We'll look at the the big numbers on these win totals in just a second as well. But a uh, question from Trent. Hey, Dad, I will throw this in your direction. Hey, guys, any news on potential hires for MSU women's basketball? Uh, nothing, nothing pressing. You know, sort of the same names have been thrown out there. I do. I have heard that that John Cohen is going to make a swing for the fences type of offer. At a couple, I want a couple of the big names. Maybe a guy like Jeff Walls from Louisville. Uh, but nothing is is concrete or, or or even there's not even really a lot of smoke right now. Okay. You're digging deep on this one? Huh? I, I'm, I'm looking. There you go. Uh, this was on the heels of our conversation with Chandler Rome a little while ago. Coronavirus or not, I still hate the Astros and Red Sox. Cheaters. Uh, Paul in Greenville points out that military deploys for 12 months and makes nothing close to Major League Baseball players. Four months for millions. Come on, man. And uh, somebody watching on the, um, I guess, the Periscope feed on Twitter or at supertalktv.com, why is Richard too good to wear headphones and, wow, Hey Dad is even less attractive than I thought? Mm. I got earbuds. I don't, I don't one care of in, if one of men think I'm attractive or not. So. <laughs> Pretty sick air. Only one there. opinion that matters, right? Pretty much. 
Is it yours when you look in the mirror? Is that the only Absolutely, one that matters? baby. I'm just like, oh, look at that. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I, I'm cutting my hair tonight or tomorrow, so we'll see how that goes. Are you? Who's cutting yeah. it? Yeah. I'm cutting it. How does that You're work? You're just going to put like a three guard on and go? I go two with the beard, so I don't know what I'm going to do up top yet. It might look like, remember a few months ago where I had the mistake haircut? It might be like that again. Did you do that, or did somebody do that for well, somebody, you? I paid for that, unfortunately. So if, if, I, if, if tomorrow you're watching this live stream and I'm wearing a baseball cap, you know what happened. Borky, at what point do you figure out your haircut situation? Oh, my wife cuts it for me. Like all the time? Yeah. Really? Yeah, we started that after, um, really after we got married, um, she revealed to me that she had like a, a whole haircutting kit and stuff, and the first couple were not great, but they've gotten better ever since, and it's better than spending 20 bucks to have somebody else do it. You ever thought about investing in a Floby? A what? A you don't know what a Floby is? Hey, they're, they're not it's all the uh, haircut sure. apparatus that uh, connects to a uh, to uh, a vacuum cleaner hose. Yeah. No use. mess. Oh, there's a mess when you're bleeding. Oh, well, Why do you what? bleed from it? it? Just pulls the hair out. It, you know, just hurts. No, it doesn't. It's got blades. It, it, I mean, it's like your your deal, where you just put the guard on, but then you attach the uh, the trimmer to the vacuum cleaner hose, the Floby. Does it pull lovely. the hair out of your head? I've never heard yeah. of this before, but it was on infomercials. I mean, it was founded in '86. So, what were you? Richard, were you in high school then? Um, no, I was six. Oh, well, you know, that was years before I was born. Uh, so, no, I don't really remember it as much as you do. Text message on the C Spire text line. Can't believe y'all just brought back the Floby. That thing was amazing. I cut my own hair with it all the time. Did, did it Rippy, actually you just work? just let it grow for a while? Sure, it worked. I got one an as things were shutting down, and I don't know. Uh, MC asked to cut it. I don't know how that's going to work. So probably, yes, just let it grow out. I'm watching the infomercial Wait. right now. There's no way this thing worked. Of course there is. <laughs> well, Rippy, so you're going to uh, you're gonna let MC cut it? No, I said I'm going to do the exact opposite of that and let it grow out. Okay. Rippy with a mullet. That's an idea. I can actually Ooh. grow a pretty mean one. When's the last time you did that? Uh, I was pretty rebellious, like high school, and so like in the summer I could get it pretty. It gets pretty long in the back in a hurry, so it's not like an intentional mullet, but it's pretty luscious. You were rebellious in high school. It's more of like a mane. <laughs> did um, Did you ever get in trouble for being rebellious in high school? Not at all. I was not on thin ice at all when I left uh, Jackson Academy. Oh, so it wasn't your parents that you were on thin ice with. It was with the uh, the headmaster? Well, no, no, no. Like, the haircut-wise, they made you, like, like your hair couldn't be too long. Like, like that was policed at school is what I meant. But, like, in the summer... I'm not I'm talking about a haircut anymore. I'm not talking about a haircut anymore. I wasn't talking about a haircut anymore when I was clearly being sarcastic about not being on thin ice. But haircut-wise, that would be considered rebellious, having a mullet at Jackson Academy. So just how thin was the thing, ice? Right? Uh, I mean, thick enough to dance. I don't know. 
I was okay. <laughs> Did you ever feel like there was legitimately um, a chance that you wouldn't graduate? No, I, ne- I never, never got that thin. I mean, I had good grades. Just, you know, teachers may not want to have me twice. Greg and Nettleton asks on the C Spire text line, Richard, are you still doing your triple chin exercises? Remember, stare at the camera. Wow, Greg. Thanks, bud. Yikes. And Stan says, Rippy never ceases to amaze me. Triple chin? Hmm. That's one more than two chins. That's why I have the beard. It covers them up. Thanks, Fred. Yeah. Uh, Rippy being rebellious is something like drinking a Zima without Skittles. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know. What is that reference? It was before our time, too, Skittles. Rippy. I have a package of Skittles here. Do you know what Zima is? No, I do not. What 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 does that mean? Zima, Zima was like thing different. Claw. Yeah, it was discontinued yeah. Yeah. in 2008. Before Smirnoff Ice, there was Zima. Okay, well, I was not cracking open any Smirnoff Ices or Zimas at age 13. Okay. What were you cracking open at age 13 there? <laughs> a fence post in a brown bag. Win totals, Florida 9.5, over or under? Non-conference oh, slate, Eastern Washington, South Alabama, New Mexico State, and Florida State. Well, they're really stepping out with that one, aren't they? That's about right for them, though. They're, they're, they're 10 and 2. Okay. You ready for this hot take? Tell it. Florida will be undefeated hosting Georgia on October 31st. That means no. they win. I'm sorry. Let's that means they that win means at they... Tennessee and they beat LSU at home and they go to Ole Miss and win for good measure. I, I don't think okay. they'll beat LSU. LSU over or under nine and a half. Non-conference games, UTSA in week one, Texas in Baton Rouge in week two, Rice at home in week three, and Nichols at home in week five. Crossover games are Florida, that's their permanent, and South Carolina. They will go under by a game. They lose at Florida, Alabama, at Auburn, at Texas A&M. They lose way too much, and Miles Brennan's not Joe Burrow, and... They will be a good team, a very talented team, but they're not winning 10, 11 games this year, not with that schedule. Florida basically had them in a one-score game for the entirety of that game in Baton Rouge last year. If you're talking about teams that gave mm -hmm. LSU the best game, is that not it? Probably, yeah. Texas, Alabama. The problem with me not giving up on Miles Brennan is that I didn't think Joe Burrow was going to be Joe Burrow. So, who knows? Who could have told you that? Um, you think you might be on the opposite, uh, on the wrong side of a take two years in a row? I, I, it's possible. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. But I think they'll. I think they'll lose to Alabama. I think they'll lose to Texas, and then they'll lose one more. Nine and three. Texas is back, baby. I don't know about all that, but I, they could beat LSU. 
Texas A&M over or under nine and a half. Their non-conference games, Abilene Christian, North Texas, and Colorado and Fresno State. Their crossover games are South Carolina on the road and Vanderbilt at home. That's so nice right there. Think about what they've played last year versus what they're playing this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, they're no they're 6-0 and in those games you just mentioned, but I think they'll lose to LSU, to Alabama, and they'll they'll lose at least one more. So they'll go 9-3 and at best. So you've got them under. Yeah. That leaves Alabama and Georgia both at 10.5. Georgia's non-conference games are Virginia, East Tennessee State, ULM, and Georgia Tech. Their crossover games are Auburn. And it's earlier this year, by the way. That's on uh, October 10th. And the aforementioned Alabama in week three. Yeah. And then for Alabama, the non-conference games are Southern Cal, Georgia State, Kent State, and UT Martin. I'll go over for Alabama, say they win 11, and under for Georgia, say they win 10. I don't know. Whatever. So those are your win totals in the SEC. We'll give you... Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.